great to worship together. Let's pause a moment and just listen to the Holy Spirit. Again, I want to encourage you, have you waited in his presence? The scriptures say, one thing I ask for, this will I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord. So we encourage you, take time to wait and listen to him. For our focus today, respond to God's discipline. Think of recent history. We think of 9-11, terrorism, the most recent election and all of the controversy there, violence increasing, racial tensions, uh, issues with police departments, and now COVID. What is happening? I've seen some people on Facebook playing old Dave Wilkerson prophecies that the judgment on America is finally happening. Could be. What if it is? Others are trying to positively confess every negative away, make it go away. So the question that faces believers is, how do we respond? Maybe God is disciplining us. How do we respond to that? And even in our personal lives, what do we do when the pressure mounts? What do we do with maybe needs of perhaps elderly parents or friends or children or neighbors? How do we respond to challenges in God's discipline? So today, in Jeremiah chapters 27, 28, and 29, he actually tells us how to respond to God's discipline. Let me give you a little background. These three chapters are occur during the reign of Zedekiah. Zedekiah is the third son of Josiah. He was really the last choice. He is the last king to reign over Judah the last 11 years of their existence. So what happened was in 598 BC, uh, the second big surround, the, uh, surrounding Babylon surrounds Jerusalem, holds them siege, and Jehoiachin is king for about three months, and uh, they surrender. And so the Babylonians take Jehoiachin. Actually, the prophet Ezekiel goes to Babylon during that time. Most of the nobility, and really most of Jeremiah's supporters that are defending him throughout his life, they also are taken to Babylon because they're the people of power. They're the intelligentsia. They're the most of the leaders. And so this leaves a young and weak King Zedekiah, surrounded by some very unwise, and some of them were rabidly nationalist leaders, so it's a very unstable situation. Into this mess, Jeremiah comes with these three chapters, these messages, submit to God's discipline. So how do we submit to discipline? And Jeremiah tells us there's several choices in discipline. The first choice is to endure. And we'll just read the first seven verses of chapter 27. Again, early in the reign of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke of straps out of cross and crossbars and put it on your neck. Then send word to the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon, through the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them a message for their masters and say, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I give it to anyone I please. Now I will hand all your countries over to my servant, 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. Wow. Let's pray. So Lord, we ask as we look at your word today and open our eyes, help us understand, but also then as we grasp intellectually, help us to see the connections to our lives and bless this word in Jesus' name, amen. So a little background, verse three, there's these guys that have gathered from all the Western kingdoms, Western end of of the Babylonian empire, and here they sit in Judah. We know a little bit about what was going on. At the eastern, the opposite side of the empire, the eastern kingdoms under Babylon had rebelled, and there was all this stuff happening. And so these guys come, they send their envoys because they're thinking, hey, now's our chance. We can rebel against uh, Nebuchadnezzar and get free from this, this nasty ruler. And so in verses five and six, uh, there's a very bold assertion here, right? That God says he is in charge over the whole earth and that he's made the whole earth subject to Nebuchadnezzar and that Nebuchadnezzar is his servant, right? This would be a little bit like in World War II, God saying, you know, Hitler is his servant in the sense that Nebuchadnezzar does not know God, serve God or honor God, but that God is using him to accomplish something on earth. Now, this is consistent theologically, starting with Isaiah. The prophets assert what is earlier implied in the Old Testament that God, Yahweh, is Lord of the earth, that all of history is in his hands. Specifically, he says that Babylon will dominate for three generations. You notice it's very specific the Babylonian king, his son, and his grandson. And interestingly enough, we know that this is exactly what happens. Babylon dominates for three generations of leaders, and then Daniel, as an old man, and I believe it's chapter four or five, sees Belshazzar, the grandson, fall to the Medo-Persians in one night after a drunken party, and that's really how it happened. What Daniel chapter five, verse 30 says is pretty much what the secular history of the time says as well. And so the rest of the chapter 27, which we'll not read today, warns of failing to serve Babylon. So the hard word here is that Babylon's domination of the Middle East is God's purpose for 70 years. They are simply to endure. Now, that's not our situation. But as we reflect on enduring in challenge and tribulation this morning, I'm just going to ask you to relax. All I'm going to do is read to you four passages from the New Testament on discipline. So just listen to these. Hebrews 12, 7 says, endure hardship as discipline. Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. Righteousness and peace. Then James chapter one, verses two through four, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops 
perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That last verse again. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Lack nothing in the Lord. And then the final one, Romans 5, 3 and 4. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Wow. Endurance produces Christ in us. Are you challenged? Are you pressed? Suffering? Endure. Perseverance is the door to the healing of soul, holiness, and the maturity that we need and desire. Do you long for greater fruit and usefulness to Christ? Endure. The first choice in discipline, then, is to endure. There's another choice in discipline. The second choice in discipline is to discern. Chapter 28, let's read some drama. This is one of those fun biographical sketches that gives us a door into ancient Israel. Verses 1 and 2 say, In the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I'll bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed. Hallelujah. What a great message, huh? Freedom, God's powerful. So verse five, Jeremiah wants to agree. So verse 5, then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah before the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, amen, may the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. Right? Exciting. But there's a problem. I won't read verses 7 through 9. You can, but he basically says, but there's just one little problem. Normally... Prophets prophesy disaster to motivate us to repent. And then if we repent, God doesn't bring the disaster. So positive messages have to come true if you're really a prophet. In fact, he's alluding to Deuteronomy 18, where God promises to raise up prophets for Israel, actually. But if the prophet's word does not come true, he's not from God. So Hananiah gets all, you know, going. And, uh, and by the way, notice... Unlike some of the passages in Jeremiah, he does not say that Hananiah is a false prophet. So maybe he's really like, yeah, you know, I mean, it'd be great, right? But uh, so then Hananiah breaks the yoke off the neck of Jeremiah. Freedom's coming. Jeremiah leaves. Jeremiah, interestingly, is probably weighing what Hananiah has said, although he's been prophesying for 23 years. He's going to weigh it, hoping it's true, maybe. But then verse 12, God speaks to Jeremiah. Shortly after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. 
Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place, you'll get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I'll put an iron yoke on the necks of all these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they will serve him. So uh, it's the words not from God, and then even more soberly, verse 15, then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. You persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year, you're going to die because you preached rebellion against the Lord. And in the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah, the prophet, died. Wow. Very sobering. So we have to analyze this a little bit. And if you've been following through on these messages the last several weeks, we'll pull together some thoughts here. But one thing we notice about his message today is there's a great promise of deliverance, but there's no call for repentance. As we've been reading Jeremiah, we see a consistent call for repentance because uh, the people of Judah are simply not living in the covenant. Along with that, there's a little bit of a message. God exists to serve our needs. Well, God wants to meet our needs, but that's not why he exists. Jeremiah reveals a sovereign, holy God who can use even pagan king Nebuchadnezzar to shape history. God is not our serving boy to do our bidding. And so we're going to bring up some heuristics for discernment, which you will see on the PowerPoint uh, in brief form. But let me just, first of all, as you're discerning, you hear there's a lot of prophets, a lot of people posting online, on Facebook. It's great. It's wonderful. But we've got to, we've got to test it, right? So unlike when we're meeting together on a Sunday morning, we can't necessarily test everything together. So I'm just going to give you some principles, what I call heuristics for discernment. Heuristics are rules of thumb, right? Heuristics for discernment. So ask yourself, when you hear something, that somebody says this from God, does this challenge or accommodate my sinful nature? Does this challenge or accommodate my sinful nature? Part of what was going on with Hananiah, he was giving them great news with no repentance. Colossians 3, 5 to 17, among other things, say, put to death everything that belongs to your sinful nature. A prophetic word that never addresses my sinful nature is suspect. Second heuristic, does this challenge or accommodate the spirit of the world in my day. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we may freely receive the things that God has given us. And so does it accommodate the spirit of the world or does it challenge the things that are especially the lies of our day? Things like relativism, things like uh, molding the Bible to say what you want it to say about sexuality or life or whatever you want. These sorts of things are the spirit of the world. And so a genuine prophetic voice uh, really leads to the third heuristic. A genuine prophetic voice, uh, biblical truth will affirm the the trajectory of that prophetic word. Uh, So does the biblical truth affirm or caution against the trajectory, the direction of this prophecy? 1 Corinthians 14, 29 says, test everything, weigh what is said. And fourthly, And finally, for our heuristics for discernment, 
Does this prophecy lift up God or human strength? What we see in Jeremiah 9, Jeremiah 17, not to trust in man, but to trust in God. Not to boast in the strength or wisdom or wealth of a man, but to boast in the Lord. And so these are things that can help us be discerning as we're hearing. And sometimes it's not even prophecies, but just things that Christians are saying. And again, be discerning. Does it challenge my sinful nature? Does it challenge the spirit of the world? Does it affirm biblical truth? And is it aligned with glorifying God's power, wisdom, and wealth rather than ours? So listen to the various voices with discernment. In times of crisis, you're always going to have a lot of voices. People love to speak up in those times, inside and outside the body of Christ. Fear, pride, contempt, judgment, arrogance are very common. So the second choice in discipline is to discern God's voice. Jeremiah gives us one more clear choice in discipline. This is my favorite. Third choice in discipline is hope. Chapter 29. This is the one part of Jeremiah that you know, even if you don't know Jeremiah, because everybody misquotes this verse, but we'll get it straight today, okay? So chapter 29, verses one and two. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So he's, you know, all these people have been carried away. So that's the context. And then he explains this was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother and court officials, et cetera, et cetera, had all gone into exile from Jerusalem. I already told you that, but he's reestablishing for us. This is when all of this happened, right? All the people of power and wisdom and wealth probably uh, left. And so there's just a few people left that did not know what to do. And so that's the context. In that context, this letter is sent. Uh, Maybe drop into verse 5. He says to the exiles, people in Babylon, right? He says here, build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Sounds like Genesis, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, Also, this is important, verse seven, listen. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Are you kidding? They're ready to call down curses. No, seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to their dreams. Uh, They're saying, you know, that you're going to come back early. Verse 10, uh, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, then I'll come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Now, I'm about to read verse 11. And that's the one that everybody reads. You know, you're praying for people. I know the plans I have for you. Prosper you, not to harm you, right? Yeah. But what's the context? They're under discipline. (laughs) They're in Babylon where they don't want to be. And, oh, you know, we want to go home. And and they got some prophets saying, and you're going to go home in two years. And Jeremiah is saying, actually not. <laughs> actually, you're going to be here 70 years. Well, what if they're my age? 70 years, what do you mean? I'm going to be dead. You know, I'm not going back. What, what kind of promise is this, right? He's saying, 
in that context when things are not going your way. We call it discipline. He says, don't worry, have hope. He says, in that context, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, the purposes that can be translated, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I'll hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back from captivity, etc. Settle in, verses 5 and 6. Live, marry, have kids. Seek the prosperity of Babylon. Now, now I want you to understand and think about this little excursus right here, right? This is a great passage, not only for them, but for us. Because it highlights the complex nature of the relationship of the kingdom of God to the surrounding world. Until Jesus comes again, the consummation of all history, we are inextricably linked to our Babylon, right? We're here. Our life and prosperity is linked to the world around us. One of my favorite old uh, rock and rollers who is now with Jesus in heaven, uh, his last great album was Stranded in Babylon, right? It's a life about where we are now, right? Babylon is, in a sense, where we live before the second coming, I know it's a metaphor, but that's exactly what's going on here is, is what do we do about this? We're still really in captivity. We're in the world. We're not free in the way that we will be in heaven, right? And so we pray for the peace and prosperity of our Babylon, knowing we're stranded in Babylon until the final kingdom. And so this helps us, for those of us that have Gnostic tendencies, right? That, you know, hyper-spirituality. Uh, yeah, we, you, you, nothing wrong with marriage, family. Uh, it's, it's a part of the kingdom of God in, mixed with the kingdom of this world until the final kingdom. It's, it's how we live. So then the main point here, verses 10 to 14, the central word is hope. 70 years of waiting. But that hope is not just for the little kids that are going to live 70 years later and go as old men back to Jerusalem, Right? No, he says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans plans to prosper you. So um, how do I explain this? The word plan um, and plans, (laughs) it's not very clear in English. It's the same word. It's it's a a noun and a verb, right? (laughs) Chashav. He's saying, I have a planning or devising that I have devised for you. Or maybe another way to say it is, I have a purpose that I have purposed for you. When you come into the kingdom of God, you don't just come in to get to heaven. We get to heaven. You come in. Actually, John says, you, as soon as you come to Jesus, you already have eternal life. Heaven's not an issue, you, right? You're just, you're going to be there. The, the big issue is God has a plan and a purpose for your life that begins immediately, right? I've got a plan, I plan for you, a purpose, I purpose for you, uh, and, and a, uh, a devising that I've devised for you. And it's, uh, we often in our translation say, a plans to prosper you. You may be interested to know that's the word shalom. 
plans to, in other words, bring you into wholeness, harmony, and fulfillment. I want to bring you into shalom and not to harm you, right? God has a purpose to fulfill in us to, (laughs) you know, it's like to bring you into the wholeness of what he made you for. Not just in heaven, but now. Why we preach healing of soul is not just so you'll feel better. We want you to feel better. So does God, okay? But it's also because when you are living in your insecurities and pains and resentments, you cannot do what God has made you to do. And so when you come into that shalom, that wholeness of God for your life, you're set free from being all the stuff the world and your family put on you and you can live in that wholeness and you become a vessel of shalom. You begin to bring goodness and shalom wherever you go. And that's God's will. God's will, man, I'm so glad that virtually everyone that's listening to me right now is is probably knows Jesus. Maybe feel if you don't, if you don't, get in the kingdom quick. It's great, okay, join us. (laughs) But but then the purpose of God is not just to get you to heaven. It's to reproduce Christ in you. The life, the love, the reality of Christ now as we're coming into who we are in Christ and we, we put outside the junk, not just the sin, but all of the, all the human hesitation and, oh, what about this? And anxiety, we say, Lord, I just want to trust you and be that person, vulnerable, open, caring, risk-taking in Christ, living for him. The shalom of God, a future and a hope. And when you live in that, people can taste the life and the kingdom life is spread. It goes from person to person to person. Isn't this beautiful? And when does this happen to them? Remember our context. He doesn't speak to them when they're being the coolest Christians on the block, when they've been obedient all week, when they've been having devotional times three hours long. He says this to them when they're being disciplined. And that's when you need to hear this word. It's the days when you didn't do so well. And in our Protestant penance, we're tempted to beat ourselves up for three or four weeks before we really get excited about Jesus again. In the despair of discipline, when we know, in fact, we are to blame, hope is the key word. And maybe you've been at that moment this week, and Jesus wants you to know that he has plans for good and not for evil, to bring you into shalom and give you a future and a hope It's the days you stumbled into porn and you didn't get rid of it like you should have or you snapped at your kids or whatever you did. And he's saying, I've got a plan for you to give you a future and hope, prosper you and not to harm you. See that, what, when we have slipped, that's when I know I've ministered to people. It's like, they're just convinced. Oh my gosh, God's just going to get me now. Wait a minute. Have you been listening the last five years? (laughs) no. No, the cross is bigger than that. And, and Jesus hasn't even died yet. When this scripture is written, God said, when they're under discipline, he says, I got plans to prosper you, give you a future and a hope. 
And notice in verse 12, you'll come to me, call upon me, come and pray to me. See, part of that future and that hope is relationship. It's restored relationship. God doesn't struggle to forgive. You know, the, the, the worst sinner in the Old Testament, also the greatest saint, committed adultery and then committed contract murder. And as soon as he said, I sinned against the Lord, the Lord says, the Lord's taken away your sin. Boom. Now he had consequences. See, we have the exactly backwards. We're afraid of getting forgiven and we're not afraid of consequences. We need to be afraid of consequences and not be afraid of being forgiven, okay? Because God can't remove consequences because our choices matter. And so sometimes you've got to walk through some stuff. That's the discipline. But, but the relationship, he says, then you'll call upon me and pray. You'll come to me and pray to me and I'm going to listen. Now, biblically, when he says, I'm going to listen here, it means I'm going to answer. It's not just, oh, I'll listen. Oh, I'll see what we're going to do about that, you know? <laughs> no, no, he'll hear you. So the restoration that's talked about here and you can see we're at the door of the new covenant, can't you? Which we'll get to in the next several weeks. But he's talking about a restored relationship with God, including answers to prayer. And he says, then you'll seek me and you'll find me because you're going to seek me with all your heart. Part of the issue in sin is it dulls us. And so part of the process of restoration is realizing I've been a fool and I don't want to mess around anymore. Lord, I don't even love you like I should. I don't even want to seek you like I should, but God, I, with all that I've got, I seek you. And when we get desperate like that, we find relationship with God. So how does this apply to us? Do I need to say it? How many times has despair trapped you into more sin? Dragging out a 10-minute struggle for three days that could have been over and done with. Hope in God is the great deliverance. Even for Judah, it's eschatological. I mean, you know, again, if, if you're a 40-year-old 40 40 guy in the exile, and he says seven years later, you're going to be free. It's like big deal, right? <laughs> you know, he's going to die in Babylon. But he still can have relationship with the Lord. Future and hope right then. So what does it mean? Hope builds for heaven. Hope frees me from despair. I like to think hope releases more energy than a triple espresso. And for me, that's saying a lot. <laughs> but biblical hope is not just an abstract concept. It's linked to intimacy with the Father. Seek and you will find. This is the life of the remnant people of God. The third choice in discipline is hope. So in times of challenge and discipline... And maybe we've done wrong and you know, we're kind of being corrected or maybe we're just living in a society that's gone wrong and we're experiencing as a society discipline. We still have choices. We need to choose to endure, to discern, and to hope. What is your deepest desire? Endure in hope in Christ. Some reflection points today. Where is God challenging you to endure? discernment are the voices you're listening to moving you toward heaven are you seizing his hope embrace his hope let's pray Lord we thank you that probably the greatest gift that your gospel brings to us in these days 
is a hope for ordinary, broken, stumbling people. That there is hope, hallelujah, that you can take, even when you are disciplining us, you give us a future and a hope. So Father, I pray right now for all those in this community that are hearing this prayer this morning, I pray, release hope in Christ Jesus, that we would place our hope entirely, completely in him, that we would find that joy, that peace, that life that comes from hope in him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.